Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. How's everyone doing? Hey, how's everyone doing? Good. Awesome. Uh, My name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so honored you're with us today. Uh, If you're joining us for the first time, you came at perhaps a fortuitous or sad time. I don't know. We are concluding our series we've been in the last two months called The Politics of Jesus. The Politics of Jesus. We are concluding it today. And yes, I I know what you're thinking. Um, I've, I've created an algorithm. I've looked at what all the candidates and, you know, their platforms and how much they talk about each thing. I've cross-referenced it with Jesus, you know, and be like, who would, who would Jesus Christ vote for? And you, you finally get your answer. Jesus would vote for, would you join me in prayer, actually? So, uh, <laughs> now I'm not going to make it that easy. Come on. Um, but let us pray. But I'm going to do something a little different, actually. Uh, usually, I pray and you listen and hopefully pray along with me, but I fear sometimes that you, you mainly just listen. And so instead what we're gonna do is we're gonna take 30 seconds of silence and I'm gonna ask you in your heart to pray, to pray to God, to open your heart to what he might wanna say to you today. And if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not sure about this whole church thing, that's awesome, we're, we're so grateful you're here. Um, we're not sure about this whole church thing often, but still you're here, so pray with us. Uh, turn your hearts toward a God you're not sure you believe in and ask him to speak to you today. All right, so let's take 30 seconds and pray. Jesus, open the eyes of our heart to the depths of the Father's love for this world. You have come not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but to give the world life, and life in abundance, and that life comes through you. So would you open us all up to hear your voice and see you today? It's in your name. Amen. All right, so just to give a brief recap of where we've gone over these last two months with the politics of Jesus. We started way back in May and we said, it's important we recognize that Jesus's politics are the politics of Jubilee. Jubilee, you may not uh, understand that word or that concept. It's an ancient Israelite concept that basically stipulates that every 50th year, 5-0, every 50th year, all spiritual debts that the Israelites had racked up against God were forgiven, just like that. But with them, all social debts, all economic debts were also forgiven. The game was reset. And we know this because when Jesus starts his ministry in Luke chapter four, he quotes a passage from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, which is a Jubilee passage. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Jesus's politics, the forgiveness we have with God, also entails a social and economic uh, community that exhibits that level of forgiveness. And we said from the very beginning, you cannot have Jesus without Jubilee. And the only way we're gonna get Jubilee is if it comes through Jesus. And when we look at the American church over the last hundred years, we, we realize that they've split. So we have certain um, branches of, of the church in America that care a lot about the components of Jubilee, of areas in society, social justice, and rightfully so, but kind of have forgotten that the only way that comes is through worshiping Jesus. That's the only way you don't run dry. And we also have other branches of the, of the church in America that have really focused on prayer and worship and right relationship with God, but have totally excluded the neighborhoods they live among. And we said, if we want to really understand Jesus's mission, Jesus's politics, how he's calling us to live, that we cannot have him without Jubilee and we cannot get Jubilee but through Jesus. Or as one theologian says, the people of God, that is us, we are called to be today what the world is called to be ultimately. We exhibit these Jubilee politics, Jesus's politics today, hoping that the world will see it, be so compelled by it that they wanna be a part or at least wanna know who is this God? But we do exist in the world. We do exist in the world. And we said that it's the world of Cain, from the story Cain and Abel, where Cain ends up killing his brother Abel out of jealousy. He kills his brother and sisters because he fears his own death. He fears his own mortality. He's desiring to preserve his own existence. That's the world we live in. That's the politics of our world. We will do violence to others or we will look the other way so as to protect our own. It's self-preservation. But we said Jesus is not like that because Jesus doesn't fear death. Jesus enters into death, receives it, and defeats it. Therefore, for us, we have all the time in the world to act patiently and to love all people and to not perpetuate these structures of Cain because we don't defend ourselves. We don't fear death. We are free to live in into an entirely new mode of existence. And then over the last couple weeks, we've examined certain structures of Cain and we've brought up people from the community to look at, okay, how can we, as followers of Jesus, enter into those structures and not perpetuate them, but imagine alternatives. So we've looked at racism, we've looked at the economy, we've looked at healthcare, sex, incarceration. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've left some of these conversations very overwhelmed. It's a lot of work. And it seems like it's never ending work. It seems like the hydra, you know, the, the Greek mythological creature, the hydra, you cut off one head and three grow back. How can we continue to do this work when it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight? So in this last sermon, I wanna look at some final words from Jesus. I want him to have the final word to us, to, to mobilize us, to encourage us to follow him and live into his vision of reality. So would you go with me to John chapter 14? Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before the last supper 
where he'll be betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, crucified and resurrected. So this is some of the final um, exhortations and admonitions for his people. And I would like that to be the final word for us as well as we conclude the series. John 14, 18 through 31. This is what Jesus says to his followers. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now. Let us leave. Jesus' final words to you and to me. What can we learn from this? First, this life and this work is difficult because it feels like we're orphans. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. But that means right now, it feels like we're orphans. I don't know if you're like me, but if you've ever looked out on this world or even looked in yourself, in your own life, and said, God, where are you? How long? When are you coming back? How long, O Lord? How long will the nations curse you and curse us? How long will we have to offer up our bodies unto death again and again and again? How long does the prince of this world have his say? How long will I deal with this or that? It feels like we're orphans. Where is our father? When's he coming back? But he says, you heard me say, I'm going away. And I will come back to you. But the promise seems far away. And with each passing day, it seems to be getting further. We examine structure after structure that reveals this world is horribly broken. Where is God in this? Where are you, God? And it's important as we listen to Jesus' words where it feels like we're orphans. It's important that we remember where to look, that we remember 
where to look. Because he says, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. The world won't see me anymore, but you'll still see me. Where is he? Where do we look? We have to remember where to look. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of Elise Wiesel, who wrote the book Night, detailing uh, his um, time in the Holocaust, in a concentration camp. And he tells the story, maybe you're familiar with this story in the book. He tells the story of, of, of people heading back to the, the Jews heading back to the barracks one day, and three Jews being hung. And one of them was a child. And um, you could tell, he said, there, there was an energy in the air. People were, were on edge, because it's not an easy thing to hang a child. And uh, one of the, the, the Nazi guards couldn't do it, and so this SS man, this very proud SS man, uh, walked up, and right before he hung the child, he screamed, long live liberty, which I don't know how you can hear those words, long live freedom. And the manifestation of that freedom is expressed by hanging a child. I don't know how you can see that and not say there's something of evil in this world. How is someone's freedom compromised by a child? Long live liberty, he says, and then he hangs the child. But the child was too light, writes Wiesel. So the, the, the net didn't break, and the child just hung there and turned different colors until it slowly suffocated. And as the Jewish people were walking back and watching, of course, they're crying. They're crying out, and one man right around him shouts, for God's sake, where is God? For God's sake, where is he? And Wiesel says, some voice came from within him and answered, where is he? This is where. Hanging here from this gallows. He's right there hanging. And whether Wiesel realizes it or not, that's the Christian response. The world won't see me, says Jesus, but you will, because you know where to look. Where do we look? Where is God in the flesh in this season where it feels like we're orphans? Our God is the God on the cross. Our God is the God who has not abandoned the world to die, but has entered into the deepest depths of human depravity and evil and suffering. Where's God? He's hanging in the gallows. Don't forget where to look. Don't forget where to look. On the cross, God enters the place of complete separation from God. On the cross, Jesus enters the place where an idea emerges that we should hang a child for the cause of liberty. Wherever that place is where that idea emerges, God is now there. He's there. He's entered into our realm. So his love and the opportunity to receive relationship with him and love him back, it's there in the depths of suffering. There is no other answer like this in human history of a God who, who doesn't like say, hey, you can, you can leave, you can come toward me. He goes, no, 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 I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna become just like you. And what is the true human condition? The true human condition, if we're honest, if I really search my soul, the true human condition is that I, in a certain, in a certain str a string of circumstances, I could be the one hanging that child. That's within me. It's within you too. And because of that separation, it will result in death. Sin and death, those are the words we use. 
But God is now in sin and death. That's what Jesus entered into on the cross. He's come to us in our suffering. Don't forget where to look. Don't forget where he is in this season while it still feels like we're orphans. I'm reminded of an On Being episode with Krista Tippett, and she was interviewing Jean Vanier. Jean Vanier, I speak about him often. Uh, he recently passed. He started the Arche communities where the abled and the disabled would live side by side as family. And, and in, this, in this episode, uh, he was describing how it, how it got started, how Arche got started. Uh, Vanier was a recent um, Catholic priest graduate, and he was visiting in France asylums throughout the country that institutionalized the mentally ill and developmentally disabled. And he was moved, Vanier said, he was moved by such the great sadness and isolation in these places and by the people there. And so he decided to invite two young men to live with him in his house as family. And Tippett remarks, I've always been struck by this story. It's a reminder that the response to despair and suffering is to pull the hurt closer and closer until you're under the same roof. To pull the hurt closer and closer until you're under the same roof. Don't forget where to look. Jesus' politics is one of unending compassion. And if we remember the definition of compassion, it's, it's etymology. Passe, to suffer. Con, with. Compassion is to suffer with someone. Pull the hurt close. Where is God? He's pulled the hurt so close and so close, they're under the same roof. You don't see him right now because you're looking in the wrong places. You're looking as the world looks. You're looking for final vindication, but that's not where he is yet. We're heading that way, but that's not where he is yet because he hasn't returned. Right now, he's in the suffering. Right now, he's in the compassion. Where is Jesus? Go suffer with. Go be people of Jubilee. Then you'll see him. You'll see him again. The world won't see him, but you will. Remember where to look. This work is hard, friends, because we don't know who to trust. Often it feels like those who boast Jesus' name seem to be just as lost, if not worse, than anyone else. Who do we trust? Who's in this work with us? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will keep my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not keep my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. What's he saying? He's saying it's not our words that testify to whom we love. It's what we do. Anyone who loves me will keep, will do my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not do my teaching. It's not our words that testify who we love. It's what we do. And then, in an age, in an age of information, in a social media age where everyone has words, everyone has a voice, listen to them, but that doesn't tell you who they love. What we do demonstrates who we love. Listen to the way a person lives. Jesus is the full expression of the mind that is behind all of this. He is love in the flesh. That's what we see when we look at Jesus. And you're like, who is this guy? Why, why are Christians so obsessed with Jesus? We believe Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. 
And so the mind that is behind everything, the, the truest truth, is this love that Jesus reveals to us. And that love is in words, but the love also is exhibited by how Jesus lives. And how does he live and where does he go? He ends up on a cross, dying with us, joining us where we are. That's love. That's love. Words are good, but trust those who live into the words. They are the ones who love me. And there are more of them than you imagine. They're there. I know sometimes it feels like there's no one on your side. There's no one on your team. Everyone you look around, as, as you see people, like, is there anyone? There are more than you imagine. Sometimes the loudest ones, though, get most attention. Look for the actions. Look for the life. Trust that. But then that also means that there's a difference, friends, right? Jesus says, anyone who loves me will keep my commands, will do what I do. Anyone who does not love me will not do what I do. And, but there's a difference between the world, those who don't love him yet, don't know, don't trust him yet, and, and his followers who do love him. But the difference is not in name or self-identification. The difference is in, not in those who say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and those who are like, no, I'm not. The difference is in who loves Jesus, who keeps his words, who adores them, who desires them, who lives into them. Not perfectly, of course not, but desperately. That's the difference, which is why we can enter a space where there are seemingly tons of people worshiping Jesus, speaking his name, but it feels cold and isolating. And I, I wonder if it's because if we followed the lives of those who fill the space, perhaps their lives don't demonstrate that they love Jesus. And I'm not passing judgment. My, I struggle with that daily as we all do. But I do know I love his words. I want to follow him. And it's hard, it feels unnatural, but that's the direction I'm going. Despite what my mind or my heart might tell me, I'm following him. Love is doing. Love is bringing this jubilee through liberating the captive and refusing to extort, honoring your body and the bodies of others, not participating in systems of oppression. Love comes through prayer and worship of God in the same way that you have no Jesus without jubilee and no jubilee without Jesus. As one theologian says, the times are too challenging to be wasting time pressing one another into boxes called liberal or conservative. The choice is between truth and lies. It's too challenging, it's too complex right now to look at these self-identified names of I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative. I don't care who's doing what Jesus does. Truth and lies. We will know who is for truth, who loves them by what they, they do. I don't care who you vote for. There are children three years old without beds and toothbrushes. Vote for who you want to vote for. There are children being separated from their parents and they will have trauma in their bodies. I don't care who you vote for. There are children. I am for truth. I am for truth. I don't care who you vote for. The United States has 5% of the world's population and we incarcerate 25% of the world's population. We cast them out like lepers. I don't care who you vote for. Visit the prisoner. Depression is skyrocketing. Suicides are skyrocketing. And people are treating their bodies like crap because we're free to do so. I don't care who you vote for. Be for truth. Tell them their bodies are valuable. To honor them. 
I don't care who you vote for. The times are too challenging to look at labels like liberal and conservative. Be for truth. And I know, because I have friends in this room who I love dearly, who would be quote-unquote liberal and quote-unquote conservative, and I look them in the eyes, and I know they are for truth. I know I have a co-laborer in the cause of Jesus. The times are too tough. Trust what people do. The Holy Spirit will teach and remind us of the words of Jesus. Jesus says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will teach and he will remind. The Holy Spirit will teach us who this Jesus is, what love really means and does, and he will remind us of what he's already taught us. We're going to move into the fall, just to give you a little uh, foretaste. We're going to move into the fall, and we're actually going to focus some time on the Holy Spirit, on what does it mean now that through Jesus, God has entered into every mode of existence so we can be connected with the love of God through Jesus and through his spirit. What does it mean to live in his spirit, like truly? What does it mean to make ourselves available to the spirit of God to speak to us? We're going to move into that in the fall, seeking his spirit. But I think many of us have forgotten the voice of the Holy Spirit. We've forgotten what it sounds like. We've forgotten what love tastes like. The Holy Spirit will teach and remind. And what he'll remind us of is the final word Jesus spoke to his followers. And the final word is peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. I'm going to read that again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no power over me. Peace, friends, is not circumstantial. Peace is not circumstantial. It cannot be taken away. Your peace in Jesus cannot be taken away. When, he, when, he, when, when we read right there where it says, the prince of the world is coming, I will not say much more to you. He has no hold over me. The language, the Greek language there is actually, it's more wooden. It says, he is not part of me. The evil one is not in Jesus, in the same way light and darkness, right? When light shines, darkness has to flee. It, it doesn't have a choice. It's not like, hmm, maybe I want to like push back. It can't. Darkness is the absence of light. When light comes, he had, darkness has no part in the light. That's what's going on. He's saying peace is not circumstantial. The prince of this world can do whatever he wants in this world and is. 
like hanging children for the cause of liberty. But your peace cannot be touched. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. No one can steal what you have because you remember where to look. You know where the love of God is. The evil one is not in Jesus, and Jesus' spirit is in you. Therefore, the evil one is not in you. He cannot touch your peace. Jesus is in the midst of the worst of evil and has not been defeated by it. The peace that is yours, eternally yours, is in your relationship with the Father through Jesus. That cannot be shaken or stolen. Those who love me, he says, the Father and I will come and make our home in them. If you loved him, you'd rejoice that he left. For you want him to be with the Father. The peace that is yours is in the gift of Jesus. The reality that Jesus died on a cross. Why is that peace? How does that bring us peace? Because if he is God, as he says, then that means God has entered into every mode of existence, even the worst, even the worst sin and death, God's there. And at every place, in every moment of your life, in those days where you feel like the worst human possible, Jesus was on the cross, which means he's there with you. And he says, peace, I've done it. I've dealt with it. Will you receive my love right now? And this is important because this then reminds us, the fact that peace is not circumstantial, it reminds us of the adage of why some of us are prone to despair, right? I don't know if you ever felt that. You just look around and then where's God and you despair. But it reminds us that despair does not lie in being weary of suffering, but in being weary of joy. We don't despair because there's so much suffering around. We despair because we've forgotten the joy of Jesus' love for us. We've forgotten that God has entered into the suffering. Julian of Norwich, uh, she was a, 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 a mystic in about the 14th century. And her life consisted of living through the bubonic plague, uh, the English peasants' revolt. And in 1373, at the age of 30, she had an extreme sickness that put her on her deathbed. She thought she was about to die. A really, a life of suffering, right? And on her deathbed, she starts receiving these visions from God. And the visions make no sense because the visions are just exploding with joy. All around her is suffering, suffering, suffering. Within her is suffering. She thinks she's going to die. And what does God say to her? He says, peace, feel joy, remember my love in a famous line. Uh, she's, she's, she says in one of her visions uh, when she didn't die and wrote these down that she was um, overcome with despair. Everywhere she looked, it was just horror, horror. And then all of a sudden she saw Jesus on a cross and love and grace just exploded within her. And the words that came to her is, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. Peace cannot be taken from you. It can't because you remember where to look. You remember that the evil one has no part in Jesus. And Jesus is everywhere in the world now. But he's in the suffering. You can find him there. How is peace the final word? Because I got one more thing for you. I got one more secret. This is the core. 
This is the core of God's kingdom. This is the core of Jesus's politics. This is the secret to the whole thing. This is how peace is the final word. Because the core of Jesus's being in his and God's kingdom is that he loves the Father. He ends by saying, I do as the Father commanded, so that the world may know I love the Father. Jesus came and he suffered and he died gruesomely, not because he hated injustice, though he did. Not because he loved you, though he did. He did all of this because he loves the Father. He loves his Father. He can't get enough of relationship with his God. He just is overflowing with God's love. Our politics, friends, is one of tremendous love for people, better love than people realize. Jesus' politics, what he's advocating for, is, is for the best case scenario for the world. It's incredible, but the secret of it all is that we don't love people most of all. We love the Father most of all. We love Jesus who shows us the Father. And if it splits, and it's so subtle, because to love Jesus is to love people. But if it flips and we actually start loving people more than we love Jesus, we will become bitter and angry and despair. We'll forget that peace. The secret, the core of Jesus' politics is he loves the Father. Those who survive and those who do not lose hope, how do they not lose hope? Because they love Jesus, they see him, they worship him, they talk with him. Do you remember, friends? Do you remember the first time you heard the voice of God? Do you remember the first time where you had stared at this Jewish man on the cross and been like, this makes no sense to me, this is gross, and then it clicks, one day your eyes open and you see him. Do you remember that? Do you remember the first time you encountered his love? I do, I was 16. I was 16 in the hospital bed. And I said, Jesus, you promised you would never leave me. Where are you? And I just felt love explode inside of me. And all around me and within me was suffering. I just had a major operation. But God says, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Do you remember that voice? Do you remember? Karl Barth is considered one of the most important theologians in church history. He was a Swiss theologian in the 20th century, and he was one of the uh, leading and loudest voices protesting uh, the German churches um, being co-opted by Nazi Germany. He was protesting that. He wrote thousands upon thousands of pages of theology. Brilliant, dense theology. I would not recommend it. But he is really, really, really brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. It is arguable bordering toward inarguable, that he is one of the most important theologians uh, ever with what he did and, and, and the, the, the resistance he offered against Nazi Germany. Wrote thousands of pages of theology. And then at the end of his life, he was having an interview and he was asked, sum it all up. <laughs> sum it all up. What's it all been about? Everything you wrote, sum it all up. And this is what he says. The last word that I have to say as a theologian or a politician is not a concept like grace, but a name, Jesus Christ. He is the grace. He is the ultimate one. 
beyond world and church and even theology. In him is grace. In him is the spur to work, warfare, and fellowship. In him is all that I have attempted in my life and weakness and folly. Those people you see and you wonder, what is it about them? There's such suffering, but they're so full of joy. What is it about them? They work so tenaciously, so steadfastly. At their core is not a concept, but a name. Jesus Christ. Jesus goes, I'm going to do all this, not because I love you or hate injustice, though both of those are true. I love the Father. I must be with my God. That, that is the secret of everything. So then rise, he says, let us be on our way. We are pilgrim people. We are not home. And this entire passage, I don't know if you, you probably didn't see it, but in the Greek language, it's written in second person plural, which means Jesus is not talking to you, the individual. He's talking to us, the church. He's talking to you all, y'all in the South. He's talking to us. We are in this together. I want to invite the band back up. And I thought about how do I close this? this series. What can I say to bring it to a close? And I'd like to quote someone who, who basically um, lived such a life pursuing Jesus' politics. Um, and is, is often overquoted, but this absolutely epitomizes John 14, and what Jesus is trying to impart to his followers. So I'd ask you to stand to your feet. And if you would close your eyes, I want to end this series by quoting Dr. Martin Luther King in his final sermon right before he was assassinated. And I want to ask you to listen for everything we've talked about through this series. And listen to John 14 in Dr. King's words. This is how he ended his final sermon. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Jesus, we turn our hearts to you and we, we hear in those words your own words. We hear in those words your own words that said, I love the Father. I fear no one. No one can take my life. I lay it down. And we are moving toward this promised land. And it comes through us who worship you. 
It comes through this new family of brothers and sisters made up of every tribe and every tongue and every people, bringing the fullness of themselves and humbling themselves before you. We all humble ourselves and say, you are God. Therefore, we will live into jubilee. We will, we will preach to the poor and we will visit the prisoner and we will clothe the naked and we will say, you're all forgiven and your sins are not counted against you. There's nothing that can remove you from the love of God in Christ. We will do all of that as we inch closer to the promised land, as we wait your return, Jesus. So come soon. Remind us where to look. Remind us that we are pilgrim people. Remind us. Help us to remember your love. Lord, thank you for this family that you're growing here in Brooklyn. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist to love you and invite others to love you and to love Brooklyn. So would you speak to every heart in this room? Would you rekindle in them your voice, Holy Spirit? Would you rekindle in them or, or spark it for the first time, your voice, where they would look upon this Jewish man, Jesus, on the cross, bleeding out, suffocating, and dying, and see the Father's love, that he will not leave us abandoned. He will join us as we are. Give us courage. Give us courage. If you're with us for the first time, every Sunday we come to the table and we do so as a reminder that the, the impetus, the spark for all of this has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. We couldn't do anything, but God came in the flesh. God came and he died and he offers up his body and his blood. He offers up his sacrifice to you and to me free of charge and says, you can be in relationship with me again. You can be loved by me. So if you're serving communion, would you come forward and, and grab the elements and take this, your station? And a couple things before we come to the table. Parents, if you'd like to include your children, you can go check them out from the children's classroom and then come down as a family. Keep in mind that they're not in the normal classrooms, they're another floor above. We have uh, one element that is both vegan and gluten-free and good for tree nut allergies, so hopefully everyone can participate in this who wants to. When you come to the station, we have two in the front, two in the back. Come, take the bread, dip it into the cup. It symbolizes Jesus' sacrifice, God's love for you. Not your love for him, but God's love for you. You can take it right away. You can go back to your seats. Whatever you need to do, you can pray. You can sing. And last but not least, we say that the table, the table is where Jesus' politics start. All good things happen around the table. And here, we receive his love absolutely free of charge. It's open to everyone here. So would you come and receive the love of God and remember his voice? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.